morning, everybody. So today we're going to study 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to chapter 4, verse 8. From the earlier chapters in this letter, we learned that there are these false prophets in Ephesus who were vocal, divisive, and doing a lot of damage to the church. Apostle Paul exhorts Timothy to hold fast to scripture, the sound teaching that he was acquainted with since childhood, and to continue to follow Paul's example of a life of suffering for the sake of the gospel. Furthermore, he needs to deal with these false teachers that seeks to derail people's faith. What is Timothy's weapon to do so? It is the word of God. Verse 16, Apostle Paul first reminds Timothy that all scripture is breathed out by God. It speaks to the authoritative nature of scripture. People, therefore, are not permitted to pick and choose whatever in the Bible to sit their liking. What is scripture profitable or useful for? It is for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The goal is that the man of God will be complete and equipped for every good work. There are no shortcuts to spiritual growth. Perhaps the false teachers and imposters of Timothy's day are not that different from the false prophets and imposters of today who might teach health and wealth gospel or that Christians don't need to suffer, deny themselves, take up the cross, or to follow Jesus. The way we need to fight against false teachings is by the Word of God. That means we need to read it, study it, all of it, and be trained by it by putting it to practice and living it out. It says all scripture is breathed out by God. So we go to the Bible as our authority and as our guide. Word of God is incredibly rich in its wisdom and it is powerful. Using scripture, we're able to use it for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And the result is that the man of God is complete. He's equipped for every good work. So the role of the Word of God is to mature us, is to shape us, is to equip us. And there are ways, therefore, that we are incomplete. We are not whole. We do not work right. We have character flaws. However, when we submit to the Word of God as our authority, we're able to experience that process of becoming whole again. The Bible is not just this Near Eastern Studies ancient document. It actually contains the heart of God. And we receive instruction on how we are to live through the way that He interacted with His people and how Jesus taught his disciples and lived his life. The testimony of the Bible and how it's affected countless people throughout the ages is that it has this amazing ability to bring true hope, to bring true peace, to show us and convict us of our sins, to move us to action, to be able to take steps of faith. Verse 4 says, I charge you in the presence of God. I was struck by this phrase because Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy that he lives before God. He does not need to be afraid of men. They're not the judge. Their opinions ultimately do not matter. But Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead, and he will return. Likewise, I think we need that reminder that we also live under God's gaze. We need to live our lives that is pleasing to God. That means we, we may be mocked or persecuted by those who claim the title Christian, but do not really live out the faith. So verse 2, what are we to do? We are to preach the word. The Word of God needs to be explained and needs to be communicated, as Paul says in Romans 10, 14. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We are to be ready in season and out of season. We are to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so as Christian ministers, we're not to be afraid or to hold back in this particular charge that Paul gives to Timothy to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, to bring correction to someone, to express our sharp disapproval, and to correct because of something that somebody did. To exhort, which is to also say it in a way that is encouraging and urging someone to do that which is good. And this all requires complete patience and teaching. The goal here isn't just to say things because you feel annoyed 
or to cause a person to despair or make them feel bad or shame. But the goal is that through that experience of seeing their own wrong, experiencing their own shame over their sin, that it would actually lead them to repent of that and to actually then experience genuine change and internal change. And that's really difficult. That takes complete patience because, as it says later, the truth doesn't always get through to people. There will be people who will not endure sound teaching. They will not want to listen to the words of truth. So again, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort, it has that goal of working towards something, to teach someone how to become more Christ-like in the way they think, in the way they make decisions, in their actions, in the way they treat people, in the way they carry out their ministry, and so on. So the goal ultimately is restorative, it's building up. But it does require a breaking down of a person's pride to show them their wrong and their ways and their patterns that need to be reset. I was thinking, what does it feel like to be on the giving end of this charge? And it's not very good. It's hard to be preaching, reproving, rebuking, exhorting in season and out of season. That means all the time. As a leader, that is the call because we are sinful. We cannot be naive about human sinfulness just because we want to avoid this difficult charge. Alternatively, what does it feel like to be on the receiving end of this charge? Not very good either. Who wants to be receiving reprove and rebuke constantly? Maybe receiving preaching and exhortations are okay, but not correction and feedback all the time. But understand that this is what a spiritual leader would do for you. This is the nature of love because we're sinful and we need someone to point out our sins so that we can repent and be restored. It is a loving thing to point out to your friend that you have ketchup stain on your shirt or that spinach between your teeth. So when we receive correction and rebuke, we need to see that it is not easy to give and it's done out of love. Verse 3 and 4, there is a progression of falling away from sound teaching or truth into myths. First, it starts with not wanting to endure sound teaching any longer. Then, accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, i.e. finding people who will tell them what they want to hear. Then there's a turning away from listening to the truth and finally wandering off into myths. From these verses, we learn that it doesn't happen overnight. There is a progression and we need to be attuned to our hearts and check our hearts. Am I going down this progression? Who do I listen to? So verse 5, Apostle Paul says, As for you, this phrase really stuck out. As for you, he's saying, Don't mind others, but for you, this is what you need to do. To be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. What can cause us not to be sober-minded? I was thinking about our feelings and emotions, our moods. I think sometimes those things can cause us to be foggy in our thinking. I don't know if some of us are feeling a little bit of FOMO right now. I think this charge is really timely in that sense. As for you, as for me, be sober-minded and endure suffering that is part and parcel with loving and serving God and being faithful. And then it says, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Wherever the post, whether to stay or to go, whatever the task, our charge given to us is to fulfill our ministry. Finally, what enables Apostle Paul to endure this suffering, to go through this difficult process? Where does he get that strength to be able to do the work of an evangelist and to fulfill his ministry? It's in verse 8. There is laid up for him this crown of righteousness. In other words, there is a reward. The suffering is not the end. There is hope of heaven and a reward. And he knows that his labor is not in vain. 